Johnson back to Fortino. Fortino rolling puck down low. Shot scores. It's Poulet again. Canada wins gold in overtime. Welcome to Changing on the Fly, a podcast about hockey, politics, and social change. I'm your host, Aaron Lakoff. Like blades on the ice, Changing on the Fly cuts right to the heart of today's most important issues in hockey. We go beyond the stats and pundits to bring you hard-hitting analysis on the politics of the game we love. From taking on racism and sexism in the locker room, to looking at the impacts of climate change on hockey, we amplify voices from the margins and bring them to center ice. Stay with us. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Changing on the Fly. This is episode 11 of the podcast. Now, maybe you heard our last episode. We did an interview with Chris Barker from the legendary punk band Anti-Flag, talking about hockey and punk and politics. And I said that during that last episode that our next episode would be another political punk band talking about the good old hockey game, Propagandy. Well, that interview is still coming, but the women's hockey world just got dealt a huge blow a couple weeks ago, and this news is just too big and too important to not cover. So as you might have already heard, on March 31st, much to the hockey world's surprise, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, or CWHL, announced that the league would be folding later this spring. This shocking announcement came just a week after the Calgary Inferno battled it out to win the Clarkson Cup against my beloved Montreal Canadiens, and just days before the Women's World Championships were set to begin in Finland. So there are already quite a few good think pieces and podcast episodes out there that have broken down and analyzed this news, but I wanted to bring you two of the voices that I respect the most in women's hockey media. And those are Shireen Ahmed of the Burn It All Down podcast and a National Women's Hockey League analyst in New York City, Erica Ayala. We talked to them about how this announcement was made, some of the deeper reasons about why the league was forced to shut down, and what happens next for women's professional hockey in North America. That conversation with Shireen and Erica is coming up in just a bit. As always, if you want to support Changing on the Fly, we have a Patreon page where you can sign up and throw us as little as $1 a month and feel good about supporting an independent media project. Head on over to patreon.com slash changing on the fly or look out for that link in our show notes. Or want to find another way to support the show if you don't have any cash to spare? Tell a friend about it or share this episode on social media. Okay, now on to our interview about the Canadian Women's Hockey League with Shireen Ahmed and Erica Ayala. All right. Well, joining me right now are two special guests on the program today. So we have Shireen Ahmed and Erica Ayala. Shireen is a writer, public speaker, and award-winning sports activist focusing on Muslim women in sports. She's based in Toronto and is a co-host of the amazing Burn It All Down podcast. Welcome, Shireen. Thanks for having me. 
And then joining us from New York City is Erica Ayala, who is a child advocate and sports writer. Most importantly, she's an analyst covering the National Women's Hockey League and also co-hosts the Founding Four podcast. Welcome, Erica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hello, Shireen. Hey, Erica. (laughs) All right. Well, um, yeah, really happy to have the two of you uh, on the program today to discuss a not very happy topic, which is, of course, uh, the sad news that we got just about a week ago. And then it's been um, what I'm sure we'll all agree has been a bit of a roller coaster ride since. And that's, of course, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, the CWHL, uh, closing. Uh, now, before we jump into it, what I do want to mention to all of our listeners is people should definitely go check out the latest episode of the Last Stretch podcast, which is, of course, one of our sister podcasts uh, on the Up for Network. Um, the last episode they put out was an amazing really in-depth discussion. Uh, You know, of course, uh, one of the co-hosts that program uh, plays with Les Canadiennes, Mel Desrochers, and um, and then, of course, Safia Ahmed, who who worked for Les Canadiennes. So I feel that that discussion was an amazing, very, very candid, like, insider perspective of of players speaking amongst uh, each other of, of, of how they felt and, and so definitely, definitely worthwhile to check that out. Um, what I'm hoping we can do um, as people working in the media today is maybe kind of, um, you know, of course, uh, none of us play in the CWHL, but maybe kind of get more of a sense of, of what's happening uh, on a media level um, and also at, at, at a fan level yeah, as people who, who love um, and, and watch this game too. Um, so, so that being said, to jump into it... Um, can can the both of you kind of tell us like where you were when you got this news about the CWHL closing and what were some of your first feelings and reactions to it? And Erica, maybe I'll start with you because I actually first heard about it through you. We were we were together in in Kingston for the amazing racism in hockey roundtable, uh, and you texted me. I was still in my hotel room just waking up. So so yeah, why don't you start and kind of uh, tell us about how you heard about it? Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, I was actually in Canada when I heard the news. Uh, I was in Kingston and um, it was just shocking. I mean, I I, I was shocked. Uh, you knew that both leagues were facing a lot of criticism from the, I would say, general hockey market. But the abrupt nature of the news was really shocking to me. I kind of got a tip that there was going to be some CWHL announcement, but that was far from what I expected to hear. Mm. And Shireen, what about you? What were some of your first like thoughts and feelings? I had a lot of feelings. I still have a lot of feelings. Um, I found out through Twitter and I actually, my first thought was, is this an early April's Fool's Day joke? That's actually what right. I thought. Cause it was March 31st. I was actually in the United States. I was in Boise, Idaho. And I was sort of like this, I, I felt sort of like out of place because I wasn't in my normal you know, I wasn't at home and everything like that. And I felt really far away and I was really upset. And then I, like, I reached out to Mel Desrochers and Safi Ahmed, who you just mentioned, uh, the last stretch. And I was really mortified to find out they were finding out the same time pretty much as everybody else, if not max 30 minutes before. So then, you know, you mentioned 
Courtney Sito. I was texting Courtney and I, I told Courtney because she hadn't heard yet. I called her, I think, or I WhatsApped her. And it was just, you you just want to reach out to everybody around you. So it doesn't surprise me that Erica reached out to you, Erin, because you're just like, almost like fumbling in the dark. You're like, this makes no sense. How is this happening? Particularly after yeah. such a successful Clarkson Cup weekend. Um, and when I say that, I mean like that, that final was shown on three different television networks, like both in the United States and Canada, like it was sort of unprecedented coverage. So I really, it was like a punch in the gut. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's talk a little bit more about like how that announcement was made. Um, it seems bizarre at best and, and really, really, you know, clumsy and, and disrespectful at worst, because of course, what we know is that, um, you know, the, the players just heard, uh, I think like at best an hour before the, the announcement was made public. Um, I get the sense, you know, not only like hearing people speak on the last stretch podcast, but also just like some of what we saw on Twitter, especially, you know, some of the players who were posting, uh, a bit more candid uh, stuff that um, that there's a lot of animosity towards the higher ups in the leagues, like the kind of let's I don't know if we can use the term like the CWHO brass, uh, the board of directors uh, who made uh, that uh, that announcement. So, so what can we say about like the announcement and how it was made? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I thought it was terrible timing. You've got the women's worlds. Um, as you mentioned, it wasn't, it sounds like it wasn't really a discussion that was had. It was more like, hey, we're doing this. You can say how you feel, but either way, it's happening. And that just seemed wrong. Hmm. I mean, I agree with what uh, Erica is saying. I think I was most saddened uh, to find out the players had, didn't know either. And it's one thing for me as a, a fan and a supporter to hear about it, but the ones who actually make the sacrifices they make, this is what they love to do for them to find out this way. I will sort of echo what Erica is saying in terms of worlds. And I, there was, I interviewed Liz Knox recently and she kind of had two theories about the way the timing of this, like I was really frustrated because a lot of the U S and Canada teams, you know, who play in the C-Dub were on their way to Finland for Worlds. And I'm like, was this done purposely so they couldn't speak out because they have to be, like, game ready? Like, what what was the purpose behind it? And why wait? Like, why do this now? Like, what's, what's the motivation behind it? Is it to give time to find a solution? Like, I just, I still haven't wrapped my head around it. And, but then again, there's the other side. I mean, of conversations, there's no great way to break this news. Like, what, were they going to send it out with doves? to people like you know there's right. really no good way to deliver terrible news I, I've been thinking about that and for Jaina Hufford to do this and somebody with such a storied career in Canada as a women's hockey player like that was just it was just it was so shitty all of it was just shitty yeah yeah so I mean like in terms of like the reaction on on social media which is like really telling i mean there, there's there's one tweet in particular that stands out for me and i think it it bears discussing uh just because this is uh Haley wickenheiser's tweet and i mean you know of course it's like if we're talking about like some of the greatest of all time i mean someone who has uh, you know been huge huge uh, that's an understatement for for women's hockey and 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 she put out what a lot of people would call a really bizarre tweet uh like right in the aftermath saying 
um, like kind of looking at the silver lining, I guess, but saying, hey, this might be like a positive thing and then use the hashtag, uh, I think it was adapt or die. Um, what did you guys make of, of Wickenheiser's tweet? Um, I was a bit irritated when I saw Wick's tweet only because I was like, what is she saying? But okay, if anyone has a right to comment and reflect, it's this person who has an incredible amount of experience in the game. Maybe she knows something, maybe her own life experience. Like she's pretty much the hockey prophet from Canada, in my opinion, and um, most storied player in the women's player in the world. So there is maybe something that she has lived through that, you know, and maybe she's been, and I think that little sliver of optimism from her was not a bad thing at the time. Like I wasn't in an optimistic place at all. I'm still not there yet, but she is the person we defer to. Um, so there's something about that. Like I, I hope for rage from people, but that's just me. That's my MO. Maybe it's not her Mm. MO. Like she wasn't ragey. I don't know what she was in her personal, you know, opinion, but the one that she shared publicly was that one step back, maybe two steps forward. And now I'll take that because I just want to see women's hockey in Canada. Mm-hmm. Erica, you want to jump in there on that? Uh, Wick. So I had a little bit of a different reaction. Um, I don't know. And maybe this is because there's still for now at least, women's hockey in the United States. But I just thought it was a contentious tweet. And I know there's a lot of contention with the whole one league, and now we have no league, and now we have the right league as far as hashtags. And I just thought that, there, and it's not just Wickenheiser, there's been a lot of conversation that's happened where I felt that maybe it wasn't the right time to make a statement one way or the other. But I don't know. I I hear what Shireen is saying in that players would know. And so you have to respect where players are coming from. I just think as a, from a fan perspective, um, even from a media perspective, there's just a lot of conversation happening around women's hockey right now. And it's really hard to make heads or tails of it. And so that that was kind of my reaction. Um, But also I say that in in the context of I've disagreed with wick on some comments that she's made about women's hockey in the mm. past so i don't know if that's also mm-hmm. playing into it now i mean i want to get to the other big news and all the story in just a little bit and that's of course you know the the end up uh announcing its its expansion but before we get there i mean i just i kind of want to dissect a little bit like you know how this this closing of the cwho went down because i think it's really indicative uh of of a lot of things and so many people have um, have seen the the initial press release that the cwhl put out about the league folding we'll probably link to it uh in our show notes um but of course like you know the the main reason that that they said uh for for having to close the league was uh that the business model uh was not sustainable so you i think a lot of people are getting the sense that you know they're being a bit like tight-lipped and guarded about a lot of the different reasons now i mean in terms of laying blame like you know maybe it's not a very healthy thing in terms of like where does the blame lie in in all of this but i do think it's interesting to look at like what are some of the different factors that led to this so was it the lack of media coverage was it the kind of what i would call like the non-partnerships 
with the the NHL teams that you know some of the the, the C teams obviously had were partnered with uh, NHL um, teams in, in their markets, but you know can we actually call those genuine partnerships or or can we only put this squarely on the shoulders of the league's management? What do you guys think on that? Um, I will forever blame media for everything as because I'm a part of it. And <laughs> I think that this entire incident in terms of the way that the announcement was made, the way that media all over the world, like even the BBC jumped on the story. Where were you before? Like the CBC to come out and do in-depth interviews with people or like, where were you before? And, you know, mm-hmm. um, there was a round table, uh, that had, um, Courtney Cito, Liz Knox, and then Kirsten Whelan, who writes for the Victory Press, and she's in Montreal. And Courtney literally called out the CBC on the CBC, which is like, where were you? And I think that mm-hmm. was so important to do. You can't, it's almost like media only wants to cover the stories if the leagues are folding or if there's a, you know, salacious type of thing. And let's watch the woman fall. Like it's, this isn't a soundbite. These aren't sound bites. These are people's lives. This is a sport. You want to grow the game. Then is hockey really for everybody or is it not? Is it just for white men? So I have, I have a lot of, like sort of concerns. I don't know the books of the C-Dub. I know they tried to pay their players when they could. I know that this comes down to money and the C-Dub was expected to do huge things without the same investments that it ought to have had. And I don't blame, is there different things they could have done? But I mean, all I did was see players from those teams, volunteers and staff and coaching hustling all the time. We're talking about everything from meet and greets. After every single game, they would come out of the locker rooms, take pictures. Every game I saw this was happening. Like they would mm-hmm. be doing their own stuff, loading their own luggage on the on the buses. We saw them stuck at airports. We saw bus breakdowns. Like we we like they were living lives as professional hockey players but also completely bare bones everything and how much can we ask and the league was trying to support them in that with whatever resources they had like that's my take but I just like I'm saddened by this because they could have used an infusion now I heard that the NHL is going to be donating a hundred thousand dollars to see it up to pay the players like where was your money before Gary Bettman right yeah for sure yeah, exactly that. That's exactly where I was going to pick up, Shireen. I mean, um, again, th- this is coming from the, the American perspective. And also, Shireen, I would argue that you've probably been involved with the CWHL longer than I have. But um, I think what I'll say is that I'm very uncomfortable with the conversations that we have around money in women's sports in general, because there are a lot of assumption, assumptions excuse me, and broad strokes uh, when we talk about things like nonprofit model versus for-profit model. We've talked about Courtney mm-hmm. Cito. She did a great job on, I believe it's a program called The Current, really breaking down that there are major international nonprofits uh, sports models that work. and why do they work? Well, that could be a whole nother story because there's lots of corruption. There's lots of money that's pumped into those types of organizations and doesn't funnel its way down, certainly not to the women's programs, but I'll, I'll try to keep that on the shelf for a minute. But I do think that something that Kirsten wrote for the Victory Press was very eye-opening for me. And that is that there was, I guess, some, um, 
I believe it's the RCAAA, and I'm not going to remember what that stands for right now, but um, that there was some kind of certification as amateur to the CWHL. And generally speaking, in sports, you can either be amateur or you can be pro. But once you cross that line into pro, the certification of amateur and any protections, monetary or otherwise, that you would have enjoyed under amateur goes away. So I, I thought that was eye-opening um, I also think that taking a, bit, a better look into the finances that came from China would be very interesting. I think that generally speaking, women's the women's hockey community, from fans to media and certainly even players, you mentioned Liz Knox, there were a lot of eyebrows that raised when the Chinese national team came in and first they had two teams, then they had one team, and then one team went away. There was just a lot there. So I think that it's worth delving into the finances, but I don't know that we ever will. But I also think, again, going to Shireen's last point, that the NHL coming in, giving $100,000 once something has died is precisely the reason why people are – that they – raise questions as to whether the NHL is invested um, in or wants to be invested in women's hockey in the future. They've had multiple opportunities. They have the, the license for WNHL. They have just started integrating Olympians, though, into NHL, like the skills competition, what we saw with Brianna Decker, who played in the CWHL, Kendall Coyne Schofield, and then, of course, Renata Fast, and Rebecca Johnston there as well. Um, these are things that they're just doing. And I'm sorry I'm not really tossing out brownie points for 100K when they could have done so much more for all of women's hockey, including perhaps, uh, we won't know, yeah. maybe getting involved in the CWHL before mm -hmm. the NWHL started, which, remember, is just yeah. completed its fourth season. Mm -hmm. The CWHL closed its doors after, what was it, 12 seasons? Where was the NHL then? So, I, I mean, I, I get the business model. I do think there are questions that need to be raised. I do wish, though, that the conversation in also, um, particularly within the media, needs to really highlight the aspects of the business model that are challenged and not use broad strokes and assumptions to um, go by what other people are saying and, you know, presumably kind of um, perpetuate a narrative that's incomplete. I wish we would stop doing that in women's hockey um, because if we don't start asking hard questions and getting details, whatever mm -hmm. comes next for women's hockey in Canada, in the United States and elsewhere is going to fall into the same traps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like one thing, like one real takeaway again, just like listening to the last episode of the last stretch, which everyone should like press pause on this episode and go listen to that and then come back and press play on this um, is like, you know, just there's um, like, I mean, people are are facing this with an incredible amount of courage and humor, which I, I find really, really powerful and inspiring, also very bittersweet. Um, but then like you just hear so many amazing stories, like, you know, like for me, it's like pure, like working class heroism of like someone like Mel Desrochers, who like, you know, has a very, very demanding full-time job outside of hockey uh, and then like had to go fly across the country for work, had to take a red-eye flight back, like basically didn't sleep at all and then was on the ice uh, in the playoffs. And then she tweeted like, um, you know, this kind of a cheeky tweet uh, about Connor McDavid and his like $100 million contract. And then it's like, these players are just talking about like, 
like wanting to be able to just survive off of hockey, like having it as their bread and butter. Um, and we're and- not talking about exorbitant salaries. We're talking about a living wage here. Like this is, this is not like the bar is so low. Like I was explaining to somebody, like I wanted to see a Furies and Kenneth Zian game uh, in Toronto. And I was like, could I do this Saturday or this Sunday? And then the Sunday made more sense for my schedule with my kids. They're like, wait, what do you mean Saturday and Sunday? I'm like, they play back to back. They're like, why? And I'm like, because it costs much less. They can't travel twice in one week and most of them have day jobs. And I'm explaining this to a person. They're like, I thought you just said they were professional hockey players. I'm like, thank you. You just proved my point. Like, can you imagine if the Leafs had to like play back to, they can barely play once a week. Like forget about like, sorry, that was like a massive dig. I'm just salty (laughs) because the Canadians are out. But um, my point is, is that like, people don't even know what was expected of these women and and the conditions and they just, they don't understand. And we expect them to do amazing, great things. People like, well, what about the crowds? Give them an opportunity, give them, give them something. And they'll, they'll literally, they'll make mountains out of nothing. For sure. Shereen, I hope every time you come on this podcast, you have a dig on the Toronto Maple Leafs. (laughs) That's half the reason I have (laughs) you on. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. You know that's going to happen. Another thing I wanted to mention too, just about like the media coverage and and CBC is like, you really had to dig around on the CBC website to find uh, coverage of the Clarkson Cup. Like, I mean, of course they had the one article, which they probably felt like obligated to write after, you know... uh, the results like after the inferno one, but like, it's not like, of course, like in the NHL, you have wall to wall coverage during the playoffs. And like, what I want to see is like some pregame analysis. I want to see what are the big storylines? Who are the players to watch predictions, etc. And there's none of that. And then I kind of got into an argument with someone on Twitter because uh, you know, it's like one of these like t- typical kind of like sexist misunderstandings of like, Oh, well the media doesn't owe any coverage to the league. And I was like, well, okay. Like, you know, all other factors aside, it's like private media does not necessarily owe coverage to any given thing, but here we're talking about our national broadcaster. Right. And so this is something that in Canada, like we all uh, are kind of like partial owners of the CBC and they are actually mandated to cover, you know, all aspects of, of Canadian life that, that touch on, all Canadians, right? Like this is why, you know, you have like CBC North covering Northern uh, Inuit issues. And it's not because there's a huge Inuit population, but because we recognize is that these people also make up an important part of the fabric of what this country is. And I would argue like that same logic should apply to, to women's hockey. And so I just, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that uh, Courtney was able to get that jab in at the CBC because it's just like, as, as our national broadcaster, well, where this, are this they? Is, sorry, go ahead, Erica. Yeah. And I, oh, okay. Just real quick, uh, because yeah, I get that Aaron and I do. And, you know, Shireen, I, I know you can talk more about Canada specifically, but generally speaking, yes, I think all of that is 
true. It's a public, um, it's publicly owned. Absolutely. They have an, um, you know, an obligation to cover all of the Canadian public, but also I, I think that that almost falls into a trap because again, it's not that there's no reason mm. to cover women's hockey other than it being a part of the Canadian mm. public mass. No, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, 175,000 was it that, uh, tuned in, um, and, uh, and and look at what we saw at Sochi, what we saw again at Pyeongchang. Um, you know, there are people who are consuming women's hockey. Now, if, if you are going to talk about the limits of, or if you're going to talk about the low numbers of streams or the low numbers of butts and seats, that's because they're literally capped. I can talk about the, the capacity, at least for the NWHL. Some of those arenas cap out at 700. And you know what? They sell out at 700. So if you're mad that they're selling out at 700 um, because they're not at 2,000, 15,000, 20,000, well, then mm. put them in a bigger arena. That's, you know, or you're mad that, oh, well, they're, they don't have jersey sales. Well, you can't buy jerseys that easily for, sure. for women's hockey or for women's sport in general. So I, I hear that argument. I think it's it's salient and should be part of the conversation. But I also think that that pivot and tilt to making women's hockey always about a, a charity or doing good, like let's do good by these girls. I think that is a trap. And we need to talk about women's hockey at its merit, which is why in, with the NWHL, I just want to get this in and make a, a very important point. And the CWHL All-Star Game in particular, from my personal experience, when women's sports don't put out numbers, they hurt themselves. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. Just put the numbers out. Because when you get that spike in numbers, the, the first thing that people are going to ask is, oh, well, how much of an increase is this? And if you've never put out attendance numbers, if you don't know how many people are on your streams, then again, you are perpetuating a, 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 a stereotype and you're allowing people fuel to mm -hmm. not give a damn about your sport. Well, I just, I loved that fiery Erica. I loved it. All of it. But no, but I think it's really important. Many things that you, you said and getting back, I just want to touch on this just to go back one second to the CBC. Um, and the problem, and we see this in like, you know, mirrored in the United States as well. Um, the part of the Canadian culture is hockey. So don't tell me the CBC doesn't have an obligation because come Olympics time, it's all about mm -hmm. It's all about women's hockey. Yeah, I remember Sochi. Point. There was like editorial cartoons. Like I remember one specifically of the men's team. There said play like girls because the women had won an OT at this magical stick of Marie-Philippe Poulain, our co-prime minister. Um, and I think that that's really, really, really important to note. It has in both cultures, women's hockey is the fabric of a sports society, but it's only used when it's convenient. And, you know, I'm trying to tie this in with what Erica was talking about, too. The cultures of the leagues, they're already swimming upstream in many cases, so to speak. So, like, the numbers, the C-Dub All-Star Game, Erica, we were there and, you know, we hung out, got a, got a <laughs> selfie of melanated folks at the game, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I was looking around going, well, wait a minute. Yeah, sure, there could have been 
more people. How well was it publicized? Did they have a spot aired at all on the NHL? Could they have gotten like maybe five seconds of a flash or even a commentator say it? Like, were they supported? No. And like, it's almost like the NHL goes, how little can we support Mm. women's hockey? And then they go lower than that. Like, <laughs> it's really like, I'm not, when I saw that comment of Danny Ryland and then, then Gary Bettman's name coming up, like, where the fuck did he come from? Like, did he, what hole did he crawl out of to come and look good? Like, I'm sorry for those that think that women's sports can always be saved by the men's leagues. Like, that's not good enough for me. Preach, preach. I'm just so done with that because these leagues grow and are propelled by women and look at the WNBA it's the 22nd season it didn't come out of nowhere there was hustle there was hustle it's growing it's bigger it took time like it's not going to happen overnight especially when you're not supporting the way you need to but that all being said you know I think Erica's points are super important about numbers and know who's watching you know where you can improve have that information available Mm -hmm. to give to your allies so they can use it also so there's just, yeah, as you know, Aaron, we yeah. have no thoughts. But maybe that. just to like clarify my point a bit about like the CWHL is like, of course there's like, you know, all the merit is there. Like, you know, you know, we, you know, who cover this game, who love this game know that like, you know, women's hockey is like an amazing sport unto itself. We don't have to do like all the comparisons with, with the men's game. But I guess I was thinking more like, you know, in Canada, there's a certain recognition that, you know, uh, like, for example, if you look at like our film industry, it's like there's amazing films that are being made in, in Canada that that do like stand the, the test of quality and the test of time, um, you know, but but they get federal funding through the National Film Board because they know that like thrown into the market with other Hollywood films, it's kind of like sink or swim. And so I guess I was just thinking like sometimes it does help to like have that institutional backing there um knowing that like yes the product uh, is good i don't really like calling it the product um but like there is some support needed just because like it's also such a saturated market too yeah yeah and that's fair and i think that also brings up another point that happens in men's sport that for some reason always is omitted when talking about why Mm. can't women's sports get their shit together which is public subsidies um you know and the fact that i the nfl the mlb the nhl they go to local municipalities and basically strong arm them to get all of these public funds to build these mega stadiums in the United States, at least, you have the military that maybe roughly a decade, maybe a little more ago, started paying professional sports to do flyovers and these big flags and the national anthem and all of this stuff. Hmm. So like, oh, the irony, um, I'm with Cap. Anyway, um, so, you know, like, let's talk about those things. There's money that is just absolutely thrown into boys and men's sports that professional women's sports, no matter how many Olympic medals, um, MPP and others will, you know, carry around their neck that they never get. They're not even thought of. They're not even thought of in that regard as to just toss away money. Shireen, you mentioned the WNBA, the, the NBA 
the uh, the NBA is the umbrella organization of the WNBA, the G League. They even have some esports league. The 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 G League and the esports league. The players um, using. Anyway, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on esports people today. Anyway, the the players in all of those leagues are funded through the NBA umbrella, and of course the NBA too. Do you know that a rookie contract for the WNBA is lower than a rookie contract for the st- like a star G League mm. player? This is a G League player hasn't either has little or no college experience, and they get upwards of you know 125, I think. For uh, for they can get a, an entry contract at one hundred twenty five thousand dollars US, like versus roughly I think it's a little bit over fifty k for WNBA. So Kia Nurse, you know, of Hamilton, Ontario, she's working with about fifty k for the WNBA. When you have a, a, a esports player, wow. same umbrella, and you know someone who goes into the G League that's making upwards of a hundred. Okay, I can't, and this is so like I know we're flipping into basketball mm. really quick here, but this is one of the reasons why the women go overseas in off season. Mm-hmm. This is what they have to do, and we see yeah. it. This and hockey doesn't have hockey that. Hockey doesn't have that, and the other thing is this is why these these women have day jobs. Can you imagine working nine to five or nine? nine to six, nine to seven, and then having practices at night for a professional athlete trying to train. And there was a video that came out by Red Bull and it featured um, Jill Saulnier, um, Mel Desrochers and Hillary Knight. And like, I was in tears when I saw this because in the video, Hillary Knight actually recognizes mm-hmm. the fact that she's in a financial position to not have to work outside of training for hockey. This is a professional Athlete. Can you imagine like Max Domi being a teacher yeah. somewhere or like Don't working in an office? Not teacher. like I can't even with that guy. Um, right now, sorry. Okay. I know to be exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not big on xenophobia, but um, so like the whole idea of it's unfathomable like what they have to do and the salaries you're so right like the salaries and let's not even forget for much of women's hockey the idea of even getting a salary is very very recent so in Mm -hmm. addition to just not we're not even at a level of talking about parity and pay we just started the conversation on pay just get paid and that's at the national team level, at least in the in the states as well, is what does a livable wage for someone who you expect to play at the highest stage of their sport, what does that look like? What does per diem look like? What does, you know, um, in, including a, a maternity leave clause in their contract? That's that's recent as 2017 for U.S., this is the, the you know now they they uh, have two gold medals and silver and one bronze in between you know and that's just the U.S. I mean, I mean the Canadian team uh, up until 2018 they had all of the bargaining chips literally all of the gold medals and it, it, it just the the fact that we the collective women's hockey we can't figure out um, how to support women in hockey better than we have is ridiculous. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of that. Yes. There's the media part of that. I think there's also this cultural part where as women, we are expected to accept what we are given and that women who don't do that are often ostracized and, and pushed to the side. And there've been so many times in, um, 
in women's sports where you would have because it's not like all of a sudden right right women in sport woke up and they're like you know actually i think i would like to make money off of this no of course they always wanted to make money they just didn't always have or always feel that they had any anything to bargain with any leverage and that's also a problem which i think is perpetuated by media it is also perpetuated by fans that goes back to my earlier point of let's get to the facts um calling people out or asking hard questions is not to make people feel bad you know my obligation to a hockey player is not to make her feel good about her goal and it's not necessarily to make her feel bad about a goal she might have let in it's to get the facts break down the play right you want us to stick to sports well that's what it is but all of a sudden when we want to stick to the business of sports in women's sport we we get the runaround and we're not supposed to ask questions about where money is coming from and why it stopped coming and why there isn't more of it and that's ridiculous for sure. So I do want to move to kind of like one last topic um, because I know time is limited today. And this is, of course, the other hugely important side of the story, which was the announcement that I think came three days after the CWHL closing that the NWHL is going to expand into Canada next year. And so they've specifically mentioned uh, two cities, uh, Toronto and Montreal. Erica, I'm really happy you could join us because of course, like I value your expertise around covering uh, the the N-Dub. And, and so maybe let's start with you. I mean, what, what can we make of this news? This also feels like a bit of a huge bombshell. People were talking about the one league, about a possible league merger. I know you also have a lot of thoughts and opinions around that. Um, so this is maybe not the one league people imagine, but yeah, what, what can we make of this, uh, this news? Wow. Yeah. I'm going to try to keep it concise. Cause I, I, I did like a 30 minute rant <laughs> on this alone. Um, Okay, let's start with what we know. On a conference call the Tuesday after the CWHL folded, uh, this conference call for just context was called before that Sunday, March 31st, uh, maybe the, the week uh, the weekday, mm-hmm. uh, or like four days before. Um, anyway, on that Tuesday conference call, um, we found out that um, prior to the, the news on Sunday, March 31st, the NWHL had not planned to expand in what is going to be the 2019-2020, um, their, their fifth season. That's what we were told on the conference call. Now, that piece of information I find really interesting because I'm not exactly sure why, if you weren't thinking of expanding at all for the next season, after the folding of the CWHL or the the forthcoming um, closure of the league, why you would expand into Canada. Um, I have a lot of questions about that. I do know that there's an additional 50,000 or uh, no, it's uh, 500,000, I guess. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 50,000. Math is hard. Um, 50K. There's an additional 50K that the the NWHL is getting. That's essentially the $50,000 that the NW or the NHL was giving to the CWHL is now going to the NHL. Again, I just said math is hard, but I also logic is mm-hmm. not that difficult. And that just doesn't add up to me. I don't know that 50K is enough to... Um, smooth out some of the wrinkles that exist in the NWHL whilst expanding not only to two teams, but two teams in an international market. 
I'm just gonna leave it there and uh, and uh, toss it over to to both of you. <laughs> yeah, Shireen, what do, what do you make of this news? Um, I think that the uh, the actual timing was really shitty. Mm. Um, I was not impressed to see it again. I was traveling. Um, I was not. I thought that it was insensitive. I thought that none of the first of all none of the players were actually spoken to about this and to say hey we're gonna come to toronto montreal don't feel so bad that your own league folded don't worry about it that's how it came across whereas the end up and the c-dub have very different cultures it's not just like like i'm like i'll say this very honestly like women's hockey has a culture in every a different culture in every community it's mm. in like the res girls the indigenous girls team in northern ontario has a very different culture than like Saskat rural saskatchewan or rural nova scotia or or even toronto so like just the idea that these two leagues can just merge together so seamlessly and you know that's the solution is actually not taking into consideration all the factors this yeah. is my opinion i agree with and that. And I think that I'm not saying no to one league, but I'm just saying, like, I just thought that the timing was absolutely insensitive. I think it could have waited. Again, the players were a lot of main major players were on their way to Finland. You drop this bomb, drop another bomb, and then just be like, oh, be in your, you know, think about it, like be in your, your game. And to be said, the American women, the Canadian women are doing what we knew they would do at Worlds. They're dominating. Um, so we knew that would happen, but like just after all this happening, it's just another example of what they have to work through, what they're, they're always hit with something. You keep persevering and they're so resilient and they're such incredible athletes. Um, as far as the end up goes, like mad respect for women's hockey. And also, and I said this, the people covering women's hockey, be it the C-Dub or the N-Dub, this is also an important part of the conversation. There's very few places that I trust to get my information on women's hockey, other than the Ice Garden, Victory Press, Erica, you know, as mentioned, a, a few people changing on the fly, this like the last stretch. So just a lot of respect and love to those people doing it too, because at least our stories are, are transparent and clear. So, you know, you can formulate whatever you want. Just make sure you're not following Fox sports to get your info. <laughs> Amen to that. No one should be following Fox for anything in life. Um, okay. So la last question uh, I'll leave you both with, uh, cause we're, we're almost out of time. Um, I want to look forward uh, and maybe like if we can, uh, you know, what would be one takeaway in terms of a lesson we could learn from this whole saga uh, in terms of what could be done better? Uh, and what would be one of your, your big hopes for women's hockey in North America going forward? Um, my hope is for there to be continuity and opportunity and I really, really hope there's remuneration. It's so sad that I have to say, I hope there's remuneration, but there it is. Um, I want to see the excitement, the way that it was building up. I want to see growth. I want to see conversations, really important ones, like the ones that you both engage in regularly. Um, I don't want hockey to take over as a white mm. woman's sport. <laughs> I want there to be an all. Oh, this is a pretty big <laughs> wish list, isn't it? Um, I just, I want there, I want it to grow organically in a way that's, that's fair. I think that's, that's kind of my, my key. Like I've been to games where I've seen little girls completely 
okay, little girls and me, completely fangirling over the the woman on the ice. And that's absolutely fair. And I want to see that. I really, really want to see that. For sure. Erica, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Shireen on making it fair. I really love that you talked about hockey and the fact that I, I would argue that it is right now perceived as a white women's sport. And um, I would make the argument that part of my reservations for having the NHL involved is that it will perpetuate just that. Um, but my biggest hope um, really truly is that whatever happens that the players, if they are looking at the WNBA model for how the NHL can be supportive and essentially run women's hockey, please talk to WNBA players, mm. have conversations yeah. with them. They're currently, they opted out of their collective bargaining agreement. So that agreement will expire after this season. Have conversations with them about what are some of the top issues on the bargaining table for them. If I had to assess, those would be things like compensation, revenue sharing, and travel. Um, also, pay heed to the fact that the WNBA has a separate independent players association. Women's hockey does not have mm -hmm. that at any level, as I understand. Um, and that can be problematic because for all the reasons that we said, um, including some of the, the, the shortcomings of the CWHL and the NWHL, mm -hmm. business, sports, business, it stays the same. It's, it has to make money. And often that comes at the cost mm -hmm. of the players. They're sacrificing their bodies, their time, and the 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 potential that the earning their earning potential and so i really hope moving forward that women's hockey players whatever the case may be get on the same page and start having conversations about what they want not just what they need to keep playing hockey but what they want because they deserve that and so i do put my faith in in people like liz knox um i think i'm trying i'm understanding um hillary knight and some of the national team players a little bit better but i do think the conversation really has to come from not just what's going to get you the biggest paycheck mm -hmm. immediately because i think that there's plenty of there's plenty of examples of getting a bigger paycheck, not necessarily being best for um, from a player perspective. Well, <clears throat> amazing insights from the both of you. Uh, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Shereen Ahmed from the Burn It All Down podcast and Erica Ayala, who is a broadcaster and analyst uh, of the National Women's Hockey League. Thank you both so much for being on the program today and being very generous with your time. Thanks for having us, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. All right, hope you enjoyed that interview with Erica and Shireen, even though it was on a tough topic. We're gonna to try as best as possible to keep following the story as it unfolds. The best way to get up-to-date info is to follow Changing on the Fly on social media. We're on Twitter at OnChanging, on Facebook, and on Instagram. 
Also, I want to give a huge shout out to Tomas Jurasek and Indigenous students at McGill University in Montreal who won their campaign to change the racist varsity team name from the Redmen. The university announced its decision after much deliberation and much protest on April 12th. You can go back and listen to our in-depth interview with Jurasek on episode six of the podcast, which you can find on our website, changingonthefly.ca. That's it for us on this episode. Again, we want to say a massive thanks to all our supporters on Patreon who helped make this show happen. Anne, Aiden, Jeff, Nick A, Jeremy, Andrew, Nick T, Ellen, Sam, Grill, Dasha, Dan, Shona, Amber, and Bruce. And once again, you can add your name to that list by supporting us with a very modest donation at patreon.com slash changing on the fly. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back very soon. Hi, I'm Candace Pye, and I'm the host of Gal Chat, a weekly podcast where we give you our feminist takes on everything from sex and dating to politics and pop culture. It's a show that updates you on controversial headlines, dives into the latest movies and TV, and discusses things like Tinder troubles and Me Too struggles. I put out a new show every Tuesday with special guests, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Subscribe, rate, review, and follow us on social media at Gal Chat Pod. Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian, one of the hosts of Yeah, a podcast on the Upford Network. We're talking about young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what the YA genre can teach us at any age. Join me and my co-host, Hannah Bailey, as we talk about friendships, dating, family relationships, sexuality, experiences of queerness, body politics, and more through the lens of our favorite YA novels, as well as books we're just discovering. The Yeah! Podcast, available through the Upford Network and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. This entire incident, in terms of the way that the announcement was made, the way that media all over the world, like even the BBC jumped on the story. Where were you before? It's almost like media only wants to cover the stories if the leagues are folding or if there's a you know salacious type of thing, then let's watch the woman fall. Like it's these aren't sound bites. These are people's lives. This is a sport. You want to grow the game. Then is hockey really for everybody or is it not? Is it just for white men? The NHL coming in, giving a hundred thousand dollars once something has died is precisely the reason that they raise questions as to whether the NHL is invested in or wants to be invested in women's hockey in the future. They've had multiple opportunities. They have the the license for WNHL. They have just started integrating Olympians, though, into NHL, like the skills competition. These are things that they're just doing. And I'm sorry, I'm not really tossing out brownie points for 100 K when they could have done so much more for all of women's hockey, including perhaps, uh, we won't know, maybe getting involved in the CWHL before the NWHL started, which remember is just completed its fourth season. The CWHL closed its doors after, what was it, 12 seasons? Where was the NHL then?